with three red flags, an absolutely crazy ending, and over six cars getting taken out in a restart, this is an episode you're not going to want to miss. It's time to turn into the Apex F1 Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apex F1 podcast. And boy, are we in for a big episode today. Uh, that was definitely some race. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, that was incredible. Like, there was a little bit of non action in between, but boy, that ending made up for it for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. That was, um, we had like what, three or four red flags? It was, it was yeah. absolutely insane. Just a quick uh, thing before. Before we get started in the episode, uh, the Discord will actually be up um, by next Tuesday. So I kind of wanted to cover that and let you guys know that our link will be going out on all of our socials. So please be sure to follow us, like us, and uh, go ahead and get in on that Discord. Uh, We're going to start building our community in there. And don't forget our Patreon as well. Those will also be in our links uh, for social media as well. We actually have Willem here again today. Willem, what did you think about this race, man? First of all, hey. Yeah, welcome back. (laughs) Yeah. It was a weird race. I think it's the best way I can explain it. On the one hand, I think it started off well and ended up bonkers. And in the middle, it was a bit of a snooze fest. But aside from that, meh. That's kind of my my immediate reaction for all of this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel it. I feel it. Josh, um, what do you think about the Ferrari incident right at the very front of the Grand Prix? What do you think about that? That was... That was really sad. It was sad, but it, it's just a part of racing. Like you're talking about the Leclerc incident. Yeah, when he got shunted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it bumping is racing. Obviously, nobody likes to see like anybody put somebody out, and I don't think that's what Stroll did. It's just sometimes you can be a little bit too aggressive, think you can fit into spots that you you're not gonna make, and being like that on lap one, it was tough. And they're going to have to live with it. I I agree with Josh on that. Like, it's just a racing incident. It's stuff like this happens. The aggression from Leclerc is totally understandable. Um, So, you know, and, and vice versa with, with Stroll, you know, lap one, adrenaline high, you're going to see those type of things happening. And turn three is a very, uh, is a very uh, mystifying corner, you know, closes in quite quickly. So you look like you have the opening until you're in the corner and you're like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, stuff like this happens all the time. I kind of f- thought that way um, when when I saw it happen. I just remember seeing the overhead camera when Stroll like pushed him, and I was like, "Oh no!" But it, it I definitely agree with you both. It, it definitely looked like a racing incident. I did want, however, let's let's go ahead and get into uh, our main topics for today. So we one of the one of the biggest things that we took from this race was the amount of red flags. It was three that happened during the race and then one post-race because there was some incident. I think there was something going on with uh, Hulkenberg and he was stuck on turn three or turn two. He basically just like got out of the car and just walked away. So then they had to red flag it after they went through their, their last lap after that whole debacle. It was a very confusing mess. I think like, you know, especially when you, you consider all these situations. But no, Australia had the most red flags in, uh, in a single Grand Prix. I definitely think that it was confusing to more towards the end, but we'll get to that when we get to that topic. It was very interesting to see how, you know, I think the first the first red flag was with uh, Albin 
that was an incident that we both were like, oh my gosh, like that could have ended really, really badly because when he clipped that wall and ended up backing out of it, um, I believe it was Gasly who, it was either Gasly or Hulkenberg who came like flying by. Stroll, Stroll was the one. Was oh, it was the Stroll. One. Like it was Stroll, but no, but you're right. Also Hulkenberg was freaking out. Cause it was he was a weird right behind crash. him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, glad they glad they all got that taken care of, and then um, it does concern me though. But it does concern me that angle of the corner because there can be crashes like that. We saw that this weekend. You know, cars are going in flat out. Basically, you know, it's a blind corner. You don't see the exit of the corner. If something like this happens, it it gave me 2019 Spa F2 vibes. Like you can have a massive T-bone and a driver could potentially lose their life or, you know, get seriously injured. It was a it's a something that I think the FIA are going to have to maybe make modifications on the track. To me, that was crazy how dangerous that angle could have gotten. Unfortunately, they're great drivers and there was a bit of gap between Albon and Stroll. But imagine if that happened in the start, we could have potentially seen some drivers even in the hospital. So I'm not I'm, I wasn't a big fan of what happened. It's no one's fault specifically, but I think it's something they're going to need to do some modifications on. We even saw that in uh, I think it was free practice three where Russell was doing a hot lap and either I think Stroll was in front of him. I think it was on that exact corner. Yeah. Where yeah. Russell was just like, holy crap, that was dangerous. It was a very odd incident. I, I don't it's a weird corner. It's it's actually the one corner I I think that didn't need much change, but I guess they, they wanted to improve the flow, but the angle is just, it needs to be widened up. They need to increase the depth of the gravel trap somehow. Um, but regardless, it was, it was a, it's good that Albon came out of it fine. It's disappointing because he was running six, which is insane, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great weekend for, for Alex. Yeah. He was yeah really Alex, good. Alex looked absolutely incredible this weekend. And I was, you know, I, I was actually rooting for the Williams team because they looked pretty hot. Um, you know, Logan had a few incidents, and then... I think you're a really big Logan Sargent fan. I, I low-key just... am. I, I am slowly starting to build my shrine of Logan Sargent, but that's... Are you going to have a face of him, like, on your, like... <laughs> like, like your cutout. Mural wall, yeah. Yeah. That was... Uh, man, the, the amount of cutouts we saw in this Grand Prix was insane. Let's, let's talk about the, the issue they had with the uh, restart procedure. So... That was a big topic in the very beginning because that was one of the first uh, things that got investigated, actually. It wasn't like the very first thing, but it was in there. And it was basically when Lewis had to lead the pack to the front of the safety car restart. I remember them saying in the commentary, they were like, well, you know, Lewis is like hanging back and the safety car is already in the pit lane. So what do we do? And so they investigated it. And I guess there was just no further action. How how do we figure that out? To where, you know, the next time this happens, it's not that confusing. Um, it's actually a written rule. Um, Lewis was well within it. And what I think is important to understand about these procedures is there's a very big difference between a safety car restart versus a red flag restart. Mm -hmm. Red flag restart, even with a safety car in front, it's controlled by the race leader. So it means it doesn't matter what speed they go. They're in they can control. go as slow as they want. They don't need to be 10 car lengths behind that safety car. The safety car is just like there to guide them out of the pit lane because it's still technically part of the race. Mm -hmm. But the car will jump in. Burn Mindlander will, will jump straight back into the uh, pit lane and sort it out from there. As for the rule for... You know, you have to be 10 car lengths behind the safety car. That is a hard written rule for a very long time. 
and uh, it's very different from the rule that people thought was being breached with um, the standing still restart. Josh, what did you what did you think about that when you saw that? He's well within the rule, and I don't know. I'm biased because I really like Hamilton, so I thought it was fine. <laughs> I was, you know, I was actually rooting for Hamilton, uh, especially when they got that restart, uh, because I was like, just just make the turn, but that. Red Bull car just looks absolutely unstoppable right now. And I feel like even even the commentators were saying this when they were asked this question, like there's something about this car that just it's interesting. It's interesting about the car, but they're not talking about it. I think even Willem and I were discussing like they're not answering the question correctly or they're just sort of dodging it. But, you know, what did you think about the Red Bulls this weekend? Obviously, other than the fact that they were literally 11 seconds away from everybody. The I think... A lot, has to do a lot with the budget cap. I think Red Bull found something that obviously works with their car and they don't have to fix it. And it's just, and their drivers are phenomenal. And it's just, it's really fast. It's, it works well with their drivers and it meshes really well with the team. So they don't have to like fix a bunch of stuff like everybody else does. With Mercedes, they have to be bringing in new parts or upgrades. Obviously they haven't done that yet, but there's some money there for every other team that they need to find out what is going to work with their car and Red Bull has already figured it out. So they're just tuning it and making it better, making it faster, doing what they do best. And everybody else is trying to find that, that secret recipe, I guess, so to speak. Mercedes did really, really well this weekend. Maybe the track per se was, worked really well with their team. And it was unfortunate that Russell had a DNF, but he was doing really well before that. Yeah, that was that was pretty sad. Willem? The moment Max passed Lewis, he was almost two seconds ahead of him in just a span of a few corners. I've never seen that in Formula One, and I've never seen that in a, car, in a track like this. The last time I saw this was at the 2005 Australian Grand Prix where I think, oh, I don't think it was even Australia. There was a Grand Prix where Kimi, like in the first opening lap, was like five seconds ahead of everyone. And this was worse, way worse, this dominance. Um, I did think they were going to pull a bigger gap in the end. The Mercedes was competitive enough to sort of make sure that didn't happen. But I do wonder a little bit if this car is compliant to certain things. And again, I probably sound like a bitter F1 fan and I can hear the Max fans tell me I'm an idiot. I was also thinking about this. Like, do you think it has something to do with the DRS zones? Yeah, no, the race was talking about they have a double DRS system. So they have basically have found a way to make their DRS extremely effective. But I don't think that is the issue here because the DRS sh closes down the moment, you know, Max has passed Lewis and he's still able to gain two seconds. So, no, I, I just, I don't know. It, the thing about this car, and I'm saying it even last year, it doesn't look like a great car to drive. You know, like the Mercedes and the Ferrari look like really good cars to drive. Like, they're very on the edge. They're very well planted when they want to be. You know, the driver can develop some sort of confidence. They just lack that overall performance. The Aston looks on edge, but it's still decent. The Red Bull looks stiff. It's very, it looks heavy. It has always looked heavy for the last uh, two seasons. I just don't understand how they're able to gain performance. I don't think it's that engine because the engine is frozen. And generally speaking, the performance difference is only like five horsepower between the, the four power units. So I don't think it's that. It's, it's just something with the aerodynamics, maybe even suspension. I don't know. I do have to say it is not good for the sport. And it, it is, it is bad when you see something like that happen and that's a different debate entirely but yeah 
Well, yeah, like, and, and that was, that was something I was thinking of when I was watching it. And, you know, it's like, okay, it's okay. It's one thing to have like dominance, you know, like, but it gets, it gets annoying to see it when, when, when Max passed Lewis and he had that at least two second gap on him after he passed him, it just got very boring. And it was like, okay, it just seems like it wasn't really that interesting until Obviously, lap 54, 53, when we got that safety car with, with Kevin. Everybody's really open about that, too. Like, in every post-race interview I was watching, uh, especially Hamilton. They were throwing shade. Yeah, like... No, they're, they're not happy. No one in the paddock is happy. Fans are not happy. I mean, you, you see these fans, 445,000. It's great that they're there, but they're not there to see... Well, Red Bull's happy. Right. And even then, like, like none of this is good. That This is the most unpopular... I mean, like, attendance-wise, attendance it's different, but that's not what we're but looking at. But when you're at. watching it in F1, yeah, exactly. Like, I remember watching the Vettel years, and even then, I never saw this amount of negativity about a driver and a team winning, and about dominance, and all these new regulations were supposed to bunch up the field. It didn't really do that. I mean, it did, but now there's a Red Bull... 11 seconds ahead. Well, two seconds in a single sector, you know? I mean, not even a single sector, you know? And then you've got, like, this this whole budget cap that's come into the bunch in the field. Mm -hmm. That's not working. And then, of course, there is the penalty that Red Bull were given last year for cheating. Whether pe Again, there's no debate. They cheated, all right? Why are they even further ahead of the competition than they were last year? So I don't buy any of this. Personally, it's not enjoyable. It sucks for you guys who haven't been watching F1 for a long time. And I wonder what the FIA are going to do about it. I wonder what the FOM are going to do about it. Do you really think they're going to do anything in, in the middle of the year? Do you think they'll wait? No. I No. I don't think no, so. Because the fact that they're not even investigating why the Red Bull is so quick scares the crap out yeah. of me. Like, they did that with Red Bull in the, in the tens. And they found that it's because of the blown mm -hmm. diffuser, and then they banned it the season later. And that was in the bad old days when Bernie Eccleston was running the show. So, mm -hmm. well, again, totally debated till kingdom come, but it's it is, strange. It is strange. Like, every racing sport that I've been a part of, if there's any leader that's, like, faster than the field, like, everybody can see that they're faster. There's always an inspection, either immediately after the race or sometime during that season or even after. If they don't get inspected, I'm going to be kind of surprised, honestly. But like you said, yeah, that can be debated and everything. There is hope that Mercedes do have a good package and they have double the resources of Red Bull. And Aston as well looked pretty good and we're keeping close to the Mercedes. So, you know, maybe these resources start kicking in and it makes the competition a little closer. But it's still none of this is good. It's not good for Red Bull either. Like Red Bull do not do not want to be known as the team where people are booing them for winning. <laughs> no one likes that. Another topic that came up was Magnuson's crash in turn two. That was an interesting uh, thing to see. I I can't really remember exactly how he how he did that other than him losing the back end and like tagging that wall, but it literally just exploded his tire. It was insane. Immediately, what my mind went to was 2021, because a lot of people on Twitter were talking about this, how Michael Massey was in the house, and they're like, why is it that when Michael Massey shows up, something always happens? What did you guys think about that whole last section of the race before we uh, get into our final thoughts? Well, I think that's really what it was, was that he just lost the back end of it. 
It just seemed he was either losing grip on his tires or whatnot, but just the slightest mistake can cost you. And he was just at the wrong part of the corner to be able to lose it and just tap that back end on the wall. Yeah, I don't read more into it other than it's a crash, you know. And then we had that that restart where, you know, both uh, Esteban and, and Pierre took each other out and they were both like super frustrated in the end. And then we had, uh, what was it? Uh, Yuki Sonoda. He just dove off. Logan, Logan Sargent ended up going straight. Fernando Alonso got tipped by signs, which we could talk about that here in a second. We'll, we'll get into that penalty, that whole debacle with, or actually confusion, how they were trying to restart that race, uh, for the last lap was absolutely chaotic. There was absolutely zero communication um, that I felt was going between some of the teams. Nobody knew what was going on. And then 30 minutes later, they're like, okay, so here's what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and restart that lap based off of what they were in lap 57. And then we're just going to go ahead and uh, do the, I guess, the formation lap and then just go through. There's many points that I want to get into about that. Okay. Like, yeah. There's definitely uh, different ways they could have handled all of this, but I think just the restart right there, obviously everybody should have known that their tires are going to be very cold and to be maybe not as aggressive, especially on the very first corner. Another one of those things where like it's racing, you see an opportunity there, you're going to take it, but everybody saw the opportunity and wanted to take the same thing. And especially with signs, it was just... it. The penalty wasn't warranted. It was that was just a racing incident. Lonzo should have known that somebody's going to come on the inside of him if he was going to go that wide and slow down, and then just to come in front of signs. Like I'm not saying it was Alonzo's fault or signs' fault by any means, but it's just racing situation trying to be get ahead. More obviously, aware. yeah. Uh, that and to that point, Gasly should have been definitely should have been more aware that somebody was going to pass him on the outside if he slowed down that much to avoid a wreck like that right there i think falls down to inexperience and not that he's like super inexperienced or anything but he's just it, he should have had more awareness that somebody was going to come on the outside and it was just super unfortunate that it was his teammate and they would have had such a great finish mm -hmm. and he was looking pretty solid that race yeah and so there was just multiple people on each side of the fence where it was like okay we had this wreck let's just keep it where it is because obviously Sonoda got up to like what p5 if they would have kept it where it was after that wreck but then if you're just going to go back to the starting grid right there then you should have just done that in the first place and ended the race because everybody else that had all of those positions back or wrecked or whatever it's all just null it, it, it just didn't need to happen i think i think two ways first of all i think the the, the gasly ocon thing that's a racing incident it's a restart tires are cold you know i think you're right in, in that essence where it's like you know Drivers are prone to make more mistakes, lock up. We saw that with Stroll, literally at turn three, like corner after uh, the incident. But no, I I don't know. I I think I think it was more of a racing incident. I don't think anyone was to blame there. These these red flag restarts can can cause these type of issues. Very unfortunate for Gasly because he was by far the driver of the day, yes. in my opinion. Oh and yeah, he was just. Um, I mean, at one point he was matching the Red Bulls in a in an Alpine. I mean, that's just insane and it shows that he is is definitely that driver who could step up i mean comparative to Ocon, who was stuck in like the low point so you know i i he's had an incredible start to this season and i i think he's it's being overlooked by the poor qualifying performances but gasly has found ways to get back into the points every single time so i think i think it's a great signing just in general but I, I whatever agree. going back back to the restarts again another mess by the fia 
it's so bizarre that it took as long as it did. I understand why it took as long as it did, especially towards the end. Just another reason for the FOM to consider options outside the FIA to some sort of manage and homologate the rules because it, it is causing this bitter taste in Formula One fans' mouths and drivers' mouths. The penalty with, with signs, it's way too harsh in my opinion like it's just another racing incident it's cold tires at a restart what do you expect a driver to do he also had a great race by the way too but also like it's just unfair for signs to be penalized for something that is kind of out of anyone's control at a restart you know and this is this has been the problem ever since charlie whiting passed away in 2019 there's been so much inconsistencies with the type of penalties that have been handed out you know with michael massey in the paddock and rumors speculating that michael massey might come back to run the show for the fia and the amount of digs that the fia are giving i wonder what the fom are going to do because it is just not good for the sport three red flags confusion about the results although it did get rejected in the end but like Haas debating the results and Ferrari getting angry and then this the whole uh, restart with the grid box thing with Max it's incompetence it makes F1 look like the, the doesn't look like a sport it becomes the politics there was a great quote that I read by someone saying the general perception of Formula One is that it's two hours of racing and all politics after that. And they're not wrong. There's a reason that DTS is so popular because the behind the scenes is more interesting than sometimes the racing because the racing itself is actually pretty sterile. You take into combination of the dominance of Red Bull, the FIA's incompetence, the lack of clarity, the weird countries and locations we go to, the four restarts, the the sort of draggy racing that we saw in the middle stint of this race. It's just not good for Formula One. And I, I just wonder what the FOM, what Stefano de Monacali is going to do to fix this. So, yeah, I am. Um, it, it definitely needs some changes. And, you know, I think that just comes with with uh, petitions or like uh, people, you know, actually having active conversation about it and, you know, seeing if the, if these leaders within, you know, the FIA or the FOM can can actually make a change to not just benefit the drivers, but also in the teams, but also to help benefit the fans. And, you know, we kind of saw that where this past weekend, well, uh, you know, Stefano de Manicali was, uh, I think it was, he was in uh, MotoGP and there was a whole debate about him getting rid of free practices and, you know, making it, but P1 podcast with Matt and Tommy were talking about it and they were saying that it would be cool to have like a one-shot qualifying, it, sort of like if they were to integrate the, the sprint race schedule. I'm not a big fan of the sprint races, um, the way that they have it now. The way that they had it set up made it seem, I was like, okay, that might actually work. Like, it, it could be something that's easily done. So I think having that consistency with the FIA and them being able to make it entertaining to the fans, but like you were saying, it's like all racing and then all politics right after. Like, it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like, okay, like, what do we have to hear the FIA say now? And blah, blah, blah. I mean that that's the that's always been the case in F1 but like it's it's getting to the point now where like you have a lot of exposure and these politics have never been anyway something that people in general are interested in the racing has to sell itself like that's the right. thing that I think we get right with like American football and American sports in general the sports is highlighted yeah they take priority first then everything else later and it's in more of a not so microscopic fashion 
you know, is usually ridiculed if like the politics start interfering, you know, um, mm-hmm. from from the greatness of the sport, etc. And I think this is the big thing that F1 has to start adapting or it's going to die. Because, yes, you have your 445,000 whatever fans at the Australian Grand Prix. That's not guaranteed next year. If the Australian fans have to sit through that race again, yes, they may enjoy it, but there's going to be a drop if, if things don't change. F1 has to continue adapting somehow. They need to improve these rules. They need to find ways to close the field. They need to simplify everything a little bit more. They need to let the racing sell itself. They're not doing that, and that's going to kill them eventually. Yeah, I would agree. That's pretty well said. Uh, definitely, but as we as we kind of like close this out, and you know, we have a month. We literally have four weeks until we get to our next Grand Prix in Baku uh, for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. What do you think we're going to expect? You know, like it's there will be a lot of debate about the FIA. I think that's going to be the immediate sort of topics brought up. I don't expect any of that to not change in the next like few weeks. There's going to be a lot of debates about the sprint race at Azerbaijan. Max has already expressed that if they do more of these type of races and if they increase the the driver count and if there are rumors at the beginning of the weekend, thanks to Demonicelli's uh, comments that they want to remove free practice and increase the amount of races just in general. I think that the sprint race, though, in, in Baku will be kind of the one that people will be hotly debating because it is a bit of a, yeah, crash fest racetrack. So I think um, we'll have to wait and see what, what happens next. I, I think there there might be some discussions about Red Bull's dominance. I think this race will sort of deflate it a little bit just because of the other politics. I think there will be some good positive things talked about Mercedes. Mercedes, I think, bring a package in Baku uh, along with McLaren. So. That is great news for Mercedes and for uh, McLaren fans. So hopefully that's going to close a lot of that gap. Aston, I think, are projected to have an up- upgrade. I don't know if Red Bull are. They, they're quite tight-lipped, usually Red Bull, about packages when, when they come in uh, compared to other teams. So, you know, there is some hope, but we'll have to wait and see. I really hope it's not like, oh, what are the FIA going to do now? type of scenario that people are going to be talking about up coming to the race because just being a fan of racing in general and obviously the f1 i want i want to hear more about what people what the teams are doing what are people are how they're preparing how they're going to handle the race you know i want to hear more racing news and talks but uh definitely i think there is going to be an fia discussion of like how they're going to handle things and obviously with how australia has ended up that's definitely going to be a topic but i am also excited to hear about what packages and upgrades that everybody's going to be doing over the break yeah i'm i'm excited to see what mclaren and mercedes are going to bring you know we'll just have to see what see what happens when we get to baku in about three or four weeks time any final thoughts as we close everything out josh we'll we'll start with you throughout the race gasly was definitely my driver of the day just because of how he's been driving and how he's been able to keep alpine in with everybody else with the top dog uh since his wreck i think the driver of the day would have to go to perez for me just starting from pit lane and making it all the way up to p5 perez had a really solid race especially just going through all of the debacle that he had to go through through practice and then getting out and qualify or q1 uh just being able to put that all together and make it up to p5 was definitely impressive really really good to see like the back end of the field still fighting and trying to take overtake and be aggressive uh what about your top flop my top flop is going to be Ferrari 
in, a, in, in general. Like Leclerc knew enough not to be as aggressive on lap one like that. And also like it wasn't, some of it was out of his control with Stroll being there and everything, but it's just, he's more of, of an experienced driver to know better of how to race. Then signs being dealt that penalty, just Ferrari in a hole was the biggest flop of the weekend. I, I can definitely agree with that. Uh, Willem, what do you think? Uh, your driver of the day and your top flop? Driver of the day would have been Gasly. Again, I still think he, he drove an incredible race. Echoing a little bit what Josh said, though, obviously that incident didn't really uh, help. But I think um, I thought Lewis drove incredibly well. Obviously, I think there was more that could have been offered. I think if George had not pitted and there could have been a train, I think Red Bull would have had a tougher time passing um, uh, the two Mercedeses. But Anyway, it is what it is. No, I think the big winner this weekend was probably Checo, but I think the biggest loser actually comes with Alex Albon, just because he... Oh, yeah, that was tough. He looked really good, and then, you know, bending it into uh, into the wall is, is not, like, obviously what he ordered in... Yeah, I think it was five. I think it's five or six. It's very unfortunate. It is what it That's is. That's racing. But that is racing, and I'm sure he will get over it. For my driver of the day, I would probably have to say it was Hulkenberg. And he... Okay, so I was watching his race, and I was actually pretty impressed with him. He he did some really good defending throughout the race. You know, we had his battles with uh, Perez, uh, with Norris, and it was... He, he had a really good defensive... Uh, driving strategy today and I think it was really good for him to get to like basically fight up there with some of the you know upper midfield teams especially coming from you know a Haas because you know Kevin Magnuson was struggling I was basically noticing like he was he looked in top shape this weekend he had a, a load of confidence and I was really impressed with the way that he drove so he was definitely my driver of the day my top flop would probably be Ferrari I was going to say George, uh, you know, with his incident, with the whole, you know, fire and the, the leak, which which ended up not being a leak. It was a power unit failure. Yeah, Ferrari, man, they, they are just having such a rough, rough season. You know, obviously with Charles, with his power failure in Bahrain, you know, we had um, the issues with Saudi, you know, where they were just lacking pace. And, you know, obviously Charles getting taken out in turn one and then signs with that penalty. So, you know, it's just Ferrari just having a really tough season. I, I'm, I'm really hoping that they can pull this out um, in, you know, Baku or whenever they get to more Ferrari tracks, like um, when they get to like Barcelona or something. It's just going to be a, you know, a wait and see kind of approach. You know, we'll just have to see what happens from there. But uh, any final thoughts as we close this out, gentlemen? It's just going to be interesting to see what everybody does. The break like starts. Feels like a mini summer break already. It really does. <laughs> yeah, because they go in, uh, they go for three weeks after what, Hungary? Uh, yeah, usually they have a three week, four week sort of um, summer period. But this is longer. This is longer. This is like, this is around the same amount. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a long time till we next see an F1 car on track. But, uh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, that's okay. We've got you covered because we have some episodes coming out in the next few weeks. So we've got you guys covered. So be sure to keep following us and everything. Congratulations to Oscar Piastri on his first points score, especially at his home race. Uh, I was I was super stoked to see it. You know, obviously it was counteractive, you know, with him having to do the whole restart and everything. But, uh, you know, still good. Glad that he got some points at his home race. So everybody was excited and stoked to see that for him. Uh, we have a few episodes coming out in the next couple weeks, so be sure to keep 
uh, following us on our socials, and we will be posting all about the updates on our Discord and Patreon on there. Until then, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye.